Welcome back to the Illinois Agronomy Update. I'm your host, Troy Kazire, here at Hertz Farm Management in Genesee, Illinois. And we're continuing our Harvest Update series here today. And we've got a couple of folks from southern Minnesota who are going to update us on harvest progress uh, in that area. Uh, first off, we have Steve Hineker, who's a farm manager with Hertz up in our Mankato, Minnesota office. Steve, thanks for joining Thanks, Troy. Appreciate uh, having the opportunity to discuss a harvest update with you. And we've also got Bruce Potter, who is an integrated pest management specialist with the University of, excuse me, University of Minnesota Extension. Bruce, uh, thanks also for joining us today. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. So before we get rolling here, I want to give each of you guys just a couple of minutes to just kind of briefly introduce yourselves, talk about what your role is and, and kind of the geography you cover. So, uh, Steve, why don't we start with you? Sure. I'm a, a farm manager and uh, been in, in farm management for just over 20 years, uh, focusing primarily in southern Minnesota. And uh, I guess I had the opportunity to work with clients on all types of lease types, uh, from cash rent to crop share, the custom, and uh, focus primarily on corn and soybeans here in southern Minnesota. Um, uh, yeah, just a little bit of crop consulting uh, right out of college, but been doing farm management for 20 plus years. Excellent. Bruce, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role in the area you cover? Well, I've uh, uh, been with uh, this in this position since 1997 in southwest Minnesota. I have extension responsibilities, so I'll, in addition to doing meetings and uh, newsletters, um, that's the bulk of it, but I also have some applied research uh, responsibilities, mainly insects, uh, corn, rootworm, soybean, aphids, uh, we're doing uh, doing some work now with a new insect in, in Minnesota, it's soybean gall midge, uh, working with uh, some colleagues in some other states on that as well. And uh, uh, I guess uh, we also do a little bit uh, on diseases, and, and uh, we run some uh, fungicide studies every year. Excellent. Very good. Well, again, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to, to visit with us. And uh, why don't we start off with... Uh, just to, if you guys would kind of recap the season up there in southern Minnesota, uh, what what was the what was the climate like? Uh, what was your growing season like? And and uh, what really stood out when we think about the uh, the corn and soybean crop this this year? I was um, on my drive over here to meet with Bruce at Lamberton, listening to a <clears throat> ending podcast of a, a different. Um, uh, agronomy update or uh, strategic field notes actually and um, I was reminded through listening to that how cold it was this spring when we started out and it, it reminded me that uh, you know for corn planting you know um, I guess soybeans too but just think about corn planting it, it didn't really matter what the planting date was because it seemed like it all came out of the ground about the same time and um, we were probably a little bit worried uh, early on if you know about how those stands were going to turn out but we went from cold to uh dry like a lot of the uh corn belt extremely dry for a period of time and um must have had some just just enough rain at the right time because uh in, in talking with uh our producers um just very grateful for the uh, for the most part some tremendous yields obviously there's some exceptions but uh 
ending on a, a pretty good note after a crazy growing season. What do you think, Bruce? Well, I think, uh, you know, it was cold this spring, but it was relatively dry and, and uh, seed beds were good. Uh, good planting conditions. Of course, some people uh, pushed it a little bit and they had some issues with stand later on. There was a cold period there for a, a few days where it, uh, it got real cold uh, during planting and then there were some stand issues in corn because of that. Um, but I think the, the bigger issue was that once it warmed up, we had good growing conditions. And then it was a matter of uh, what kind of crop you were going to get is when you got rain and how much you got. And, and uh, some areas, particularly the research station where I'm at here and in northwest Minnesota, um, it just didn't rain and, and, uh, and yields are pretty dismal. So a matter of a few miles uh, uh, and a few inches of rain at the right time uh, is, is worth, was worth about 50 to 100 bushels in corn and, and, uh, and quite a bit in beans. So it's, if you can say anything about the growing season and, and rainfall and, and yield, it's, it's variable. And uh, a lot of guys uh, did really well, and then there's some guys that uh, missed out on some rain, and it's a little, little disappointing. So are, the, uh, are, are there any issues that they're seeing in the field right now, harvest as far as uh, stock quality? How is the, how is the, the corn crop holding up? Uh, are they able to able to get it out of the field without too many issues or what, what's how's it looking? Well, I think there yeah, there's there's issues with stock quality kind of kind of on a, on a wider scale uh, But some of that's related to, to some moisture stress during part of the uh, part of the year uh, We've got some issues bad issues with uh, soybeans uh, shelling out and we've got some soybean fields where they're where they've been harvested and we pretty much got a green carpet of volunteer soybeans in them right now so that's that's a lot you know quite a few bushels were lost that way and again I think that's a lot of that has to do with with moisture stress uh, we had some issues with uh, uh, some of the stems staying green and uh, not uh, uh, not being conducive to, to harvest uh, I think too that's some of that's uh, weather related and I think uh, we had uh, early on we had uh, uh, some soybean uh, vegetation there for some pretty good yields and then that drought took some of the top end off and and we just didn't have the sink that we normally do and 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 we didn't have haven't had a fro killing frost yet so everything stayed kind of green you bruce you mentioned corn rootworm uh, and when i think of you know when i think of, of a drier than normal season you know a lot of times we we rely on on some rains during that larva hatch period and and uh i know northern illinois this year was fairly dry and they saw because of that they saw extremely heavy rootworm pressure uh what's what's the rootworm situation looking like in your area uh this has been building uh we've had westerns and, and northerns both uh have been building for the past couple of years we had a real mild winter and uh then again we had this this nice dry uh spring for uh for larval hatch, we didn't drown any larvae, and uh, we've got we've got some pretty significant problems. Extended diapause is coming back. We're getting some fields with issues there, uh, but the big but the big issue right now is western corn rootworms in these longer term corn fields, and uh, uh, we've got tremendous populations, and we've got uh, we've got issues with the traded uh, uh, pyramids as well. We've got uh, um, basically every one of those uh, traits has got some. Somewhere, somewhere, uh, somehow, somewhere, there's a there's a rootworm population that's gotten around all of them. 
Yeah, and you you mentioned extended diapause. So for the our listeners that might not be familiar with what that is, why don't you just take a minute or so and, and explain what that is? Sure. Well, we see it uh, in primarily in northern corn rootworms, and and what happens is uh, those uh, eggs have to go through a resting period or diapause period during the winter. Normally, they'll hatch the next spring, and if it's a rotated crop, um, it's not a big. Uh, it's not conducive, though, if they're in soybeans, for example, larvae can't feed on those roots and they starve to death. Uh, but what happens with extended diapause, and it's probably an adaptation to a corn-soybean rotation, is those eggs don't necessarily hatch that next spring. They'll maybe wait and delay another spring. And and, and uh, in a corn-soybean rotation, it's a good deal because then they're back into corn when they're hatching and the larvae do do real well. So it's been around a long time, uh, but those northern populations have been down and we haven't seen seen problems in rotated corn but they're they're starting to creep back again you try to uh you know those for those guys that have been in in continuous corn uh you try to push them push them to rotate soybeans that's really about the best option isn't it uh yeah it is and it's 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 a it's a pretty good cure as long as you don't have volunteer corn the next year it should pretty much eliminate westerns in that field uh, at least short term and then it depends on how quickly they can get recolonized we're starting to see some problems now on on shorter rotations, second, third year corn, um, and and it's in those areas that typically have a lot of corn on corn areas in uh, southwest corner of the state's an example where we've got a lot of uh, a lot of cattle and a lot of guys are running a lot of corn on corn acres for feed and and um, the rootworms have definitely taken advantage of it. Yeah, anytime we come up with a way to control a pest, Mother Nature is going to find her way around it eventually, whether that's rotation or traits or, or pesticides or what have you. Um, she's she's pretty clever, and so we're going to have to keep keep rotating the tools, that's for sure. And and western corn rootworms, and well, both species of rootworms seem to be really good at it. Uh, they're kind of poster childs for children for uh management resistance in several several different venues so they're tough they're a tough critter to to watch bruce i was going to mention it seems like the last five six seven years um you know as watching the watching the pocketbook as a farm manager we were able to save some money by buying um traded seed minus the aspect that would protect you against uh you know northern corn rootworm uh, based on the numbers coming up, uh, are you recommending going back to fully traded products? Maybe not if they're not giving, giving us the protection that we're used to anyway. Well, I think we're still in pretty good shape with uh, corn borer, uh, European corn borer, but we are seeing some pockets where there's been a lot of non-corn uh, non, uh, borer BT hybrids planted over a period of time where we've got some some economic issues. And I think on the, on the corn rootworm side of it, I think um, I think we're, we're, what it means is we have to pay closer attention. And, and if a guy wants to save some money on, on uh, traded hybrid or rootworm insecticide, he can do that. But they better be doing a pretty good job of scouting those fields for beetles the year before. So when we think of corn rootworm, um, you know, in, in addition to just, you know, yield impact, uh, it can... You know, when we when we think about wind events and things like that, you lose that root mass. Uh, you can you can start you can start seeing corn go down. You did mention in your 
your uh, bullet point list you gave me here, wind damage. Um, have you had some wind events up there, and, and what, what are things looking like? Are you having some, some uh, standability issues? Uh, we did, and, and you know the rootworm cer certainly didn't help. So we had uh, the rootworm-infested fields with uh, significant damage. Those started to go down, uh, down first, but then we had a pretty big wind event that came through uh, kind of out of that southwest corner uh, to the uh, east-northeast, and that was that pretty well flattened corn, and it was well before uh, things were mature, um, and and uh, harvest was pretty tough. And I know there was a lot of corn left on the ground; they just couldn't pick it up. But uh, uh, and, and that was some of our good yielding areas where we had a little bit more rain. Um, that was kind of disappointing, uh, you know. But but you know, right outside of that, the the yields are really good. So. Um, between moisture and wind, uh, it kind of kind of depended. Uh, you know, basic basically, your yields depended on those two things this year. Hmm. Any any disease issues in particular that that have been uh, impacting yields? Um, well, in the areas that had quite a bit of rain and and you know have real high fertility, some of those same areas that that have a lot of corn on corn, they've got plenty of manure in the system. We did have a little bit of white mold. It wasn't a severe year, uh, but for the most of the state, uh, most of the state, it, it you know corn was remarkably disease free. Uh, you get into the southeast part of the state where they had more rain and, and there's a little bit more disease. Uh, we've got some tar spot over in that part of the world, um, and we're, we're picking it up at a little bit further west each year. So uh, I think it's, we're, I'm kind of curious to see how that disease uh, progresses, if it stays in the, in the wetter areas or, or if it can, uh, can cause some damage where out, here in the, out here in the west where it's a little bit drier. Yeah, and that's... Uh tar spot is a disease that's really been causing a lot of concern here in, in, in a lot of areas of the Corn Belt. We tend to think of it as a more northern latitude disease. Um, I know in Illinois, actually, central and southern Illinois had more issues with it this year just because of, strictly because of the rains. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's rearing its head in more and more areas of the Corn Belt and um, definitely something that's going to impact how we, how we manage corn going forward. I was really hoping some of those initial models where it was just going to hang out around the, the high moisture Great Lake lakes areas were would have held a little bit, little bit truer. But it seems like it, it can get out of there a little bit and and persist in a little less humid environments as well. So, kind of talk a little bit more about soybeans here. You mentioned the the seed shatter uh, issue. Um, and and you know had some some issues with white mold and things like that what uh, what are you seeing for soybean yields and and moistures and uh how are they looking in general uh well that depends again it depends on when you got rain and how much you got so uh drier is uh uh 20 to 40 and wetter in in those drought stressed areas uh probably even a little bit less if you get up into northwest minnesota and then uh where we've had good good rainfall, um, you know, might be just a mile away or something like that. But uh, you know, quite a quite a bit, quite a few fields in the sixty to eighty bushel range. So, again, it's it was a good year if you got if you catch caught the right rains. I was going to mention, Bruce. You know, you you talked about some shatter issues and a, a bunch of soybean seeds being on the the ground. But uh, 
I was on a, a call on the way over here with a, a farmer producer that just said tremendous soybean yields, best yields ever. And, and I go back to your comment a little bit ago talking about the the variability and, and that that is so true. I have to you have to be careful if you go into the coffee shop and you start bragging about your yields because the guy next door might have had some of these issues. You know, we had a, some major wind blowing areas. We've got soil type issues. If you didn't have enough rain, you know, I've been in combines where oh, yeah. you're going along and it's 250 bushel and all of a sudden you're on a lighter soil where you can barely pick up the corn because it's cannibalized and right. falling over. So it's just a lot of variability, but big picture i'm hearing a lot of positive soybean yields and in in general i think the northern corn belt is probably turning out better than we expected and from what i'm hearing the southern and eastern may be falling a little bit short of expectations uh well i think it's you know really i think uh, people are pretty amazed with how the crop current turned out that we were uh here at this research sta station basically in the top five feet we were out of water um, and we actually had in the top, I think it was top three feet, uh, we were at the wilting point. So those those roots, and that's a good thing we had it kind of dry and, and uh, a good long uh, uh, spring with, with enough moisture to get those root systems down because they were they were pulling water from a lot, uh, from, pre from, pretty, from pretty deep. Um, yeah, and soybeans, it's uh, it's pretty, I think what we're seeing on both corn and soybeans is the early planted, early maturities suffered a little bit worse from the drought, and particularly soybeans, if they were uh, still filling when you got that, when we did get some rain in the end of August, uh, those those are doing a little bit better. So I think the, the bigger issues are on the short, short season stuff for the most part in this dry area. Now, Bruce, in this uh, kind of list of bullet points you gave me, you, you mentioned spider mites here, and I know we, I tend at least I tend to think when I think spider mites that goes hand in hand with drier uh, growing conditions. Uh, have you been spe seeing some issues with spider mites and soybean? Yeah, particularly in the areas of Minnesota that uh, you know not so much in the in the southeast part of the state where they had uh, actually some of those areas had excess rain uh, early on. But in the western part of the state where it was dry, uh, spider mites were pretty prevalent. Um, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's a typical thing you see when, a hot, when it's a hot, dry year, spider mites seem to, seem to do well. Um, you know, basically the, the, our, our pest issues pretty much tracked uh, weather. We had uh, corn rootworms are, you know, cause more damage when it's dry because of the soil, soil moisture issues. Soybean cyst nematode again. Uh, you don't have that root system there uh, because of the parasitism by the nematodes. And so those those seem to cause a little more damage when it's dry out. And, you know, foliar diseases, uh, for the most part, were pretty low in the, in, in the bulk of Minnesota. Um, very, it's part, probably some of the cleanest corn I've seen as far as lack of disease until you get into the, you know, the areas that had some, some more moisture and things like tar spot. So, again, it's... it's uh, you know, moisture is a big hammer, and, and uh, um, you know, it, it really, really came through this year. It's just a, a year of haves and have-nots for, for, for moisture. You uh, you had on your list here lack of soybean aphids. Is that something that, that kind of took you by surprise this season? Well, it, you know, not, not – uh, it took me by surprise uh, because we have – you know, this part of the world, we typically see some soybean aphids every year. 
and uh, the hot dry we early on we had some when the soybeans were small we had some real hot dry weather when those aphids were coming off of buckthorn trying to colonize soybeans and uh, and uh, that 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 put a hurt on them and that continued drought uh, you know they just didn't persist this year and it's probably probably the lowest and I think this is true for the whole upper Midwest it's probably the one of the lowest soybean aphid years we've had overall and and it's it's probably in, in this part of the world it's 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 heat and and uh wind and lack of moisture that's driving it well i guess if we're looking for a bright spot that that certainly gives us something to something to hang our hat on anyway uh, yeah, well. unfor- yeah. yeah unfortunately there's a lot of crop pests that do really well if you don't have a crop so <laughs> So, any anything else, guys, on on corn and soybean? Well, one question I was going to run by Bruce. Um, you know, it's eighty two gr- degrees. I, I showed up at work this morning with a an insulated vest on and stepped outside this afternoon. I think it's about eighty two degrees, kind of windy, but lots of sun. And I was surprised on my hour drive over here to see the amount of anhydrous tanks and. A lot. Of, I'm just wondering, where are we at for soil temps? It seems a little risky to be putting anhydrous on right well, now. Yeah, we're not below 50. I'm sure guys are using a stabilizer, and but I think it's going to be a, a warm fall, and and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully we get cooled off here for a lot of reasons. Hopefully, we get cooled off here, and and uh, things get back to more normal temperatures. All right. Well, uh, I know, you know, you guys mentioned you have uh, you have a little bit of sugar beet up in that area and, and you said you haven't heard a lot about yields. But what uh, any anything to share as far as what you're hearing about sugar beet harvest? Um, well, it, it's been delayed because of the heat and that sort of thing. But uh, from what I've heard is is uh, there's pretty good crop out there, at least in the southern part of the state. So I know they're going to have they're going to pass quite a few acres just just because they've got enough beets. And, and the the warmth slows down things because it's a storage concern, right? Correct, right? You can't pile them and let them just sit there. Yeah, those those people I'm sure are wishing it would cool off and 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 uh, be more seasonable. Yeah, definitely. What about uh, what about canning crops? I know you have a, a, a decent amount of those acres uh, in your area. Um, you want to talk a little bit about about what you've got there and and how they're faring? Well, basically, the the big crop around here is sweet corn. Um, you know, we lost the Del Monte plant in South Central Minnesota, so a lot of the pea acres disappeared. But uh, sweet corn, in spite of the you know, in, in, even in areas that were a little bit drier, seemed uh, the yield seemed to be pretty good. Um, but usually, a kind of a forecast of corn yields, and I think uh, I think that held true, except in the areas where it, it just didn't rain for the rest. You know, didn't rain in time, so. Um, Pretty good, pretty good uh, sweet corn yields, and and uh, uh, but but again, that's one of the few few canning crops we've got in this part of the world. And there it goes back to maybe having enough moisture early on that some of those early sweet corn fields that were harvested turned out pretty decent. And and yeah, a lot of times that's an indication maybe of how our our grain crop is going to do. And um, I don't know if we had the full story yet when we were harvesting some of that sweet corn. It, Again, it's been variable grain corn crap here. Yeah, I don't know. How the, I'm, I'm guessing that later corn didn't do as good, but I, I haven't heard. I, I don't work with sweet corn enough to know uh, to know the yields real well. 
Okay. Well, guys, I sure appreciate the information and the insight. Uh, anything else that we haven't hit on that that uh, you, you want to make sure we cover? One last thing that I'd like to ask Bruce about. I'm looking at a map right now. He, he did an update on a soybean gall midge, and I'm looking at a, a map that shows parts of uh, South Dakota, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, and even Missouri. Uh, it just seems like it was just yesterday that I met Bruce on a site in Rott County or further southwest county, west of Laverne, where there's this new pest called soybean gall midge and and from the map it looks like iowa's been dealing with it a lot longer the western third but it that thing's kind of blowing up in minnesota too bruce do you have any updates you can give us on soybean gall midge well it was actually and i think that's true for for iowa and south dakota as well and i don't i'm imagining there's there's uh you know some environmental factors whether or you know an earlier planting uh soybeans this year that that are driving it but uh, relatively low pressure this year compared to some of the past years, but what we are finding it is in more spots. And I'm not sure whether that means it's expanding its range. I suspect part of it's we're just getting better at finding it in, in real low uh, infestation levels in Minnesota. But it's definitely something that if it gets established and, and uh, can do its business, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible thing for yield. and, and uh, if guys were uh, out combining soybeans this year and and they noticed that uh, particularly on the edge of a field next to last year's soybeans, if you had a b bunch of broken down soybe soybeans and stems bro broken off close to the ground, that, that soybean gall midge might have been the culprit. Hmm. Yeah, that's so far we have uh, we have escaped that one, and and. Uh... We, we obviously hope it stays that way. I did, didn't realize it had expanded its geography quite that much. That's definitely a concern, and, and uh, hopefully, hopefully we can get that one under control. Yeah, there was a, there was a uh, North Central uh, uh, Soybean Research Program uh, funded project where we, we've done some surveys for the past couple of years. So, um, you know, I think we've got a pretty good idea of where it is and you know, on these edges and these low populations, uh, low infestation uh, field rate, uh, low percentage of fields infested, uh, low infestation rates within a field, uh, it gets a little bit tougher to find it. But um, I'm sure we, I'm sure we'll we'll pick up some more counties next year. Yeah, now yeah, now like I said, it's. Uh definitely a unique pest and and uh i know we're we're learning a lot more about it and and uh, like i said hopefully we can hopefully we can keep it contained for the most part and and uh keep it under control so. well guys again thank you for the insight uh, appreciate your time appreciate your uh appreciate your your information uh i guess one probably the most important question i haven't asked yet and that is how's how's the uh, how's the fishing been in minnesota this year uh, I don't know. I haven't had any time. Oh, <laughs> rat. There's too, too many, too many, too many crop problems. I did go earlier in the year when it was real dry and, uh, you know, I do a lot of trout fishing and there, we got some pretty good trout fishing in the Southeast part of the state, but, uh, it's pretty tough to, when the water's really low and the fish can see you before you see them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to comment on the, the walleye because you're specifically asking about, the I, I suppose, the walleye in Minnesota. And we've got, uh, I've got a colleague in our office in Mankato. He took off uh, 
some extended time, just two weeks back, I believe, to go to the northern part of the state and did real well. I'm not going to mention his name because this might come back to him. And but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the the fall uh, walleye bite walleye bite can be pretty good, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's let's so let's hope it's a rough fish. let's hope we all get some time to uh to check it out soon here so well bruce steve uh thank you again very much appreciate it steve hineker farm manager at with uh, hertz farm management in mankato uh, minnesota bruce potter uh integrated pest management specialist with university of illinois extension or (laughs) university of minnesota extension don't be cussing no no I knew I'd, I knew I'd make a mistake before this was through. So, thanks again for joining us, guys. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Troy. Thanks for having me. All right, and thanks to everyone thanks. for listening. We will see you next time on the next episode of the Illinois Agronomy Update. Thank you. <laughs>